Staunchers buy Nikes too. This is Last Dance Spoilers. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Spoilers. Uh, this is your new host for the series, trying one out uh, for myself, Pappy, uh, recording from Louisville, Colorado. We got our starting four again tonight. Uh, intro question: uh, Let's let's share, obviously, your name, where you're recording from, and let's talk about any gambling. Games of choice uh, stories that you have. Any stories related to those, like the first time you played cards, something crazy that happened at a casino, uh, something like that. Let's start with my good friend, uh, Stevie. What's up? Uh, okay, I have one that's a gambling story, one that's just a weird story. That cool? Love it. Okay, so this was probably, what, three years ago, the first time I went to Vegas, Pap? It was a, it was so, a big yeah. deal for me. And Vegas is a city I should not be allowed in because I have a very addictive personality. And so I was at a blackjack table and I was $1,100 in the hole. Oh, no. Stevie. Yeah. And so oh, man. this was a real. <laughs> Michael Jordan over here. Ron Harper numbers. Yeah. And so like I was very nervous because, I mean, in my household, that's a ton of money. Especially not to tell your wife that you're $1,100 down at a certain point. And luckily, I mean luckily, I hit hand after hand after hand and broke even two hours later. <laughs> it was the happiest I've ever been. Wow. Like, amazing. So relieved. And the other one was I was at a, um, a dog racing track in Florida. And this, I think he was a trust fund baby. He came up to me and my cousin and asked how we were doing, like, we're good. And he gave us each $200 and said, hope you guys have a good day. And he just walked away. <laughs> it's very odd. Was he sober? Was he sober at the time? He had to have going been. On? He had to have. It was very weird. But, yeah, those are my stories. It's going to be a tough act to follow. But, uh, Liz, do you have any good gambling stories? Uh, the first time I went to Vegas as an adult, it's my family. I have some family there. Uh, was after the Illini went to the Rose Bowl in 2008, and I lost $40 at the blackjack table and then walked away. and was like, gambling stinks. <laughs> and then <laughs> and later in life, when working in athletics, you can't really bet on any NCAA sports. Um, it took a long time for my now husband and I to unsubscribe from twin spirals, the derby related horse racing (laughs) betting site. And then I guess, I guess later on uh, when we lived in Rhode Island and we were all working in athletics, we would have some of my coworkers over and we would just gamble on golden globes, Emmys and the Academy Awards, like prop bets ballots maybe winner take all and let's not forget the little league world series <laughs> <laughs> we do a little bit of gambling on the uh oscars every year we gamble a punishment movie uh before josh goes i'll share mine uh i remember like when i first got into sports betting a couple of years ago i, I too like stevie has an, have an addictive personality like in the afternoon i don't remember exactly how much i won but i hit like a really big parlay 
and I got a rush and then kind of like yada, yada, yada. It was literally all of a sudden four <laughs> o'clock in the morning and I was betting on women's volleyball oh. that was about to start in Eastern Europe. And then I kind of like looked at myself in the mirror and was like, oh, I probably shouldn't do this anymore. Wow. <laughs> like it was, it was literally just like one day. Like I, I can't tell you how I got from one to the other, but I was like, all right, what's the next thing on? <laughs> women's volleyball. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Uh, last but not least, the normal host of Last Dance Spoilers, uh, the reason we're all gathered here tonight, Josh, uh, any good stories for us? We're all gathered here because of our Lord and Savior, Michael Jordan, as the doc would tell you, but I don't really like gambling that much, honestly, it's never been like my thing, but I have a kind of a weird gambling-ish story, is that okay, Pappy? Please. Okay, so maybe, you know, when I was examining this might actually explain why I don't like gambling, but me and my dad would play Super Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo when I was in second grade, and we would play on the hardest setting, so 150cc, but we'd also do this code so that we would be small while everyone else is big. Like, anyone could just smash us instead of bumping us, and it was like our little challenge. And (laughs) this one game, we bet on who would... Like, I didn't even have to beat my dad. I just had to get second place to his first. And if I did, I don't know, I would get, like, ten bucks. And if I didn't, I was grounded for a week. Oh, jeez. So we come down to the last... Yeah, and we also played Special Cup. So the last race was uh, Rainbow Road, and I fell off the side, like, three times. And I was just, like, bawling by the end of it and, like, ran up to my room. And he had to come up and be like, listen, son, you're not going to be grounded, but I should cash in on your debt since it was a bet. And I was like, dang. <laughs> so, I happen to know for a fact that your dad loves Fortnite now, so he hasn't quite given up all of the video games. But that, that might explain uh your, your dislike to gambling. Um, that, that comes in the second episode, though. Uh, I thought episode five of The Last Dance was one of the best episodes of the whole series. Um, Liz, let's start with you. Um, it, we start off with like the, the all-star game and then um, kind of the rivalry with the Knicks as well, kind of tying in with uh, Madison Square Garden. Um, what stood out to you from early episode five of The Last Dance? Um, early episode five, I... I took actual notes this time, uh, yeah. not, not not just text to my friends. Uh, hey, is there a really weird sound? Sounds like I, running water. It's my husband doing the dishes, I think. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, sorry, Liz. Sorry. It's okay. We had a guy making popcorn one time. It's not a problem. <laughs> on, on aluminum foil. On aluminum foil. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The first thing I wrote down was that they called Kobe Bryant Little Laker Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that I thought this was the strongest open to an episode outside of the first one with the long static shot on Jordan. Just like the amount of things said that were so quotable and made me laugh like larry bird being like well we're here you might as well win um i rewound parts of this section three or four times i'm not even joking Liz. And, and i love that you said that i texted stevie and pappy but also other friends that this is my favorite five to six minutes of the whole series so far mm-hmm. it was just so 
fun and funny, like taunting Gary Payton. Like, I know we're going to be in the finals. Are you guys? Like, hey, maybe. See ya. <laughs> How so, surreal was the Kobe stuff, though? That was pretty wild. I, I knew that they were doing some stuff with him because of the Bulls Instagram account was posting pictures of them together. So I was kind of sort of ready. And then I like warned my girlfriends I were watching, like we could all cry tonight, but we didn't. So it was okay. Steve, did you like seeing young Kobe Bryant uh, in there, 19 years old, youngest all-star I think ever at that point? I did. Um, I mean, it's kind of surreal, kind of like Liz said, for the fact that like, I feel like for this entire career, LeBron James has been compared to Michael Jordan. When I really think the most comparable basketball player, personality-wise, and even skill, is probably Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think their demeanor, their personality, their absolute desire to win at all costs uh, is really what separates those two. And to kind of see also where the game was heading, like when Jordan was on the bench talking about Kobe being like, he just wants to play iso ball, he just wants to play iso ball. He just wants to get a midcourt, then do his thing. He doesn't want to play D. Like that's You don't let the game come to him. Yeah, that's where the game is today. It's all ISO ball. And so I think it's a pretty I mean, that was pretty cool to see in my mind. What was your favorite part from that section, Josh? Well, wouldn't you say that Michael Jordan also seemed a little ball hoggish at the beginning of his career? So I feel like that's just kind of the thing an older basketball set player says to a younger basketball player. That it's all about the fundamentals. <laughs> yeah, for real. I can't believe we haven't mentioned Sean Kemp yet. Even though he's in a Cavs jersey, it was awesome to see him on the all-star team. <laughs> I couldn't understand anything that he said, and he didn't have any like technically spoken lines. But <laughs> no. he was hanging out looking happy, so that was good to see. But my favorite part is when Kobe was like, the best part was I didn't just get to see him play, but I could finally like touch and feel it. I didn't, I don't know something about that. I don't know. Just really touching and knowing that Kobe's gone and stuff. I don't know. He's so wise. I'm going to really miss him. Honestly, it gave a lot of validation, like to Michael's eulogy of him. Mm-hmm. Like that, like that is how their relationship really was. Not that I ever really doubted that because I didn't think that Michael Jordan would let himself cry again in front of like a zillion people, but he, he doubled down on that and said he was my big brother. And that was so cool. It, that made my heart happy. I grew up watching Michael on TV, and now you got a chance to go face to face with him. You get a chance to really see and like touch and feel strength, speed, quickness. And um, like I had a question about shooting this turnaround shot, so I asked him about it, and you know, he gave me a great detailed answer. But on top of that, he said, "If you ever need anything, give me a call." It's like my big brother. Even the choice of words, too, that Jordan uses when he's describing him. He says something effective. You go 0 for 4, your first four attempts, you're going to have to rebound, brother, or something like that <laughs> in the locker room, too. It's just like, it's just so sweet that that sentimentality was changed, even though it's probably just like a, a word that he threw out there. But Liz, you said it was like your favorite intro shot. 
um, like what we've been talking about the, the in these episodes so far is like each episode kind of finds a hook from like the 98 season to jump back in time to, to sort of tell the story to build up to that. I thought this was by far the best hook as well because in that aforementioned all-star game, Jordan was wearing his Jordan 1s. There's some pretty funny anecdotes about how his feet were like bleeding and stuff <laughs> wearing those shoes. But it uses those Jordan 1s to go back in time and kind of tell the story of uh, how he signed with Nike, becoming a cultural phenomenon. Uh, Josh, I think jump out to you kind of here on the, on the business side of this episode. Yeah, I had never heard the story that he wanted to go to Converse first and they, they had all the big names, but they wouldn't pay him enough. But he really liked Adidas shoes the most. And what was it? They wouldn't actually like produce a shoe for him. They didn't have like the means to do it. Yeah. And so like Nike was the fallback and... I'm, I was too young when he was making that deal to remember that, but like Nike probably wouldn't be where it is today without that initial investment, don't you think, Pat? Oh, yeah, for sure. They, they were saying how it was like such an upstart company at the time, and, and I think they said it sold 126 million Air Jordans um, in the first year, uh, which is crazy. And it was, it was sweet to see his mom, too, was like the reason that he signed with Nike. I, I like that. But, but Stevie, what, what did you... Uh, notice from this business side because I liked how this episode seemed to talk more about Jordan as like the cultural icon that he was. I mean, think how crazy this is. We're talking about Nike as a small kind of like fallback contingency plan as a company for an athlete. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan in so many ways put Nike sneakers on the map, but they even go into it like not even just Nike sneakers, but kind of like sneaker fashion kind of like collecting sneakers um you know i for a man probably have way too many pairs of shoes you know that pap that's a question for me too like growing up with michael is he like super handsome i never really saw him that way but they mention it a couple times here handsome yeah i i mean he has a nice smile but like i don't know i never thought of him that way but also like I was 11. So, I mean, I don't know. Not to derail you, Stevie. It just plays into, like, why is he such a fashion icon? (laughs) I don't know, because, I mean, did you ever have it, like, Josh, did you ever collect Jordans? Or did you ever be like, man, I need to get a pair of Jordans? Dude, I was getting kamikazes because Sean Kemp was my boy. (laughs) (laughs) Jordans were a lot of money, though, to be honest. It was tough to come across a pair. They're still super expensive, and it's just, I mean, I really like how this episode talked about, like, how Jordan put Nike on the map, and it's kind of a, kind of worked together, because now Nike is everywhere, and trying to represent every giant athlete out there, and so, and also, I mean, Jordan was sponsored by Gatorade, McDonald's, I imagine Coke, any major brand, I feel like Jordan was going to be a big part of it, and I think he made a ton of money from that. It felt so 90s, too. Like, I, I don't know if it's just if it's a phenomenon of just since the time that I've grown up or like more 24 hour sports networks or even more recently, like social media. But his image up until which we'll talk about more in episode six was just so unassailable. You know what I mean? He was so squeaky clean, such a, like a good guy. It's Josh. It's almost like he was being set up to fail in a lot of ways. Do you think like someone like Michael Jordan could even exist in like a 2020 type atmosphere to gain that much momentum as 
the the goat and, and have so many sponsorships and have such a squeaky clean image. It almost feels like we won't let someone get to that point nowadays. Yeah, and it's funny too how he's like the cigars, the cokes, the McDonald's, and now in 2020 we're like the lung cancer, the diabetes, the heart <laughs> disease. <laughs> like it's just really changed, but and I was trying to think too like Nike gave him a special deal because he needed a special deal to get in. And they're sort of the new Converse now. They have all the big names. So will there ever be another one that totally bucks a company like that? Like Liz, like does Messi or some of those international soccer stars like get close? I mean, Ronaldo, Messi and Ronaldo are all over, but only only here in America during like the world cup really and truly in the messy in those Pepsi ads. Um, Messi's with Adidas like for life. He has a lifetime deal. Um, I don't know. I didn't, I I didn't uh, Nike give LeBron a hundred million dollars out of high school. (laughs) That sounds about right. I don't know. Jordan, I can't. What was he given? Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars out of college. Yeah, I mean, it was like two hundred fifty thousand dollars for like five years or something like that was the deal. Yeah, and LeBron James out of high school. Okay, here it is. Was given thirty-two million dollars out of high school by Nike for a lifetime deal, and the deal is worth more than a billion dollars. Jeez, like without Michael, I don't think this deal happens. <laughs> well. And it's interesting too, kind of the end of the document or this episode of the documentary. They they talk about it, the quote Republicans buy Nikes too, and I've literally said on this podcast, uh, staunchers listen to podcasts too, and, and sort of skirting political topics, not want to get involved. Uh, LeBron's definitely taking a different tact. Liz, I know you're a big MJ fan. Um, how do you feel about his, kind of his political neutrality? Because the, the doc definitely went there in this episode. I like that it went there. I liked that. Um, somebody who probably also was in awe of him and then became the president of the United States essentially scolded him for it. In the nicest Barack way possible. <laughs> in the nicest way. He's so nice. Just so nice. Um, I, It's disappointing, personally. Don't they kind of cherry pick one issue, though, in this episode? Like this one specific senator from North Carolina, and it's like he, he lived in Chicago. I, I, but he's from North Carolina, and I checked into the the Jesse Helms stuff, and when Mitch McConnell, Lou Holtz, came <laughs> came out in support for him, he got fired as a head coach at Arkansas. That's how gross this guy was. Who. Wow. Yeah. Really? So I did a little digging and I was like, well, maybe we should have been a little more vocal. Um, (laughs) But I liked that they had all that stuff in there about Muhammad Ali and how he could never be Muhammad Ali. And that's true because at the end of the day, as we've seen through six episodes now, Michael Jordan does this for Michael Jordan and no one else. He doesn't want to be your role model. He wants to make money and he's doing it for him. I really like what he said about 
he's working on his craft, you know? Like, can can America get back to a semblance of that where you do just kind of put your head down and blindly, sheeply follow whatever staunchers in charge? I mean, what's so bad about that? <laughs> the, the example they picked was, like, so damning, though, too. I, I, what was the senator's name, Ron, Liz? I don't Ron have... Gant was the nominee, or... Ron Gant. Ron Gant was the incumbent or the nominee? Harvey Gant was the nominee and Jesse Helms was the white incumbent who was blatantly racist. Yes. And it's just like when you when you throw that out there, it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of a bad look um, for MJ. I, I guess I would kind of counter with that. Like, who knows how many groups like in the 90s literally any group or literally any political cause would want to have michael jordan backing them right so i he probably turned down hundreds of thousands of chances to be be political and this is kind of one that that is especially damning but i guess kind of indicative of his whole uh decision making there josh does in your opinion i know you joked about it but does do you think michael jordan has an obligation to take political stances or, or did he in the nineties when he was the most famous person on earth as a documentary said, I think it's fair that a person during a part of their lifetime can put their head down and focus on their craft. Like I love to see it. I think maybe where Jordan's failed though, is even in post career, I don't think he's like a huge social justice voice. <laughs> it, so, you know, you like to see him mature with age, but I think, yeah, I think that issue is kind of cherry picked and it does make it look pretty ugly. But I, I would guess that Jordan at that time probably didn't really have a full grasp and consciousness of what all that even meant, you know? Mm -hmm. So in my digging, I also like, they say he like skipped going to the white house did, did you guys yeah. catch that? Did yeah. you? Yeah. Um, so one of his teammates at the time showed up to the White House in like a full dashiki with a six-page letter to give to the president about African-American rights and Native Americans and then basically found himself blackballed from the NBA after his deal was up with the Bulls and no team would touch him because they thought he was too political. Craig Hodges. And I think, I, I don't know. I, I kind of come down in the middle. Like I, like I said, I, I kind of skirt both sides of political issues sometimes on the podcast, just because I want as many people to listen as possible. <laughs> but I, I don't know. The reason this episode was my favorite is that it, it common, it, there was commentary on Jordan as like a cultural icon and, and a political icon and, and showing both sides of it. But Stevie, this also had like some of my favorite basketball moments. Like the dream team stuff was just phenomenal to me. Uh, did you like anything from there? Yeah. So I know nothing of Olympic basketball. Like I've never really been that into it, but the dream team is something that has always cracked me up, especially when it comes to Isaiah Thomas and Tony Kukoc. And it was just <laughs> kind of heartbreaking when Tony Kukoc Tony Kukoc is coming from a war-torn country he's just trying trying to make a living and Scotty Pippen 
and Michael Jordan made his life hell on the court because of Jerry Krause. And the thing that stuck out with me, stuck to me so well, so much, is when he looks, Ku Coach looks at the camera, it just so deadpans like, I didn't even know them. They didn't even know me. <laughs> he was like, I didn't know that was going on. So like, I'm just trying to play basketball. It, you know, he's talking about, I didn't expect someone to be on top of me the entire game. Like, I felt kind of bad for Tony Kukoc. <laughs> Josh, what do you remember? What do you remember from the Dream Team days, Josh? <laughs> well, I love just to add on the Tony Kukoc part, it is so freaking funny. He's like, I decided not to go to the NBA right away because, you know, the war. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my gosh, bro. God. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. <laughs> but yeah, I think Magic talking about how Michael just wants to crush your neck was a really big highlight. I don't know if we'll be able to pl- pull the quote for that or not, but that first, that like practice game, Pap, in the Olympics, it's mm-hmm. gone down as kind of like a legendary thing. Oh, I mean, I, I had never seen any of the footage from that like Monte Carlo practice, but like now I would pay a lot of money to just have an unedited like hour and a half, two hour cut of that. Like that might be the with thing subtitles I'm most in quarantine. Yeah, that would be amazing. Like with MJ or uh, Magic chucking the ball into the stands. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't. There's got to be some great stuff out there. I I think it brings to light. This is one of my notes too that. Michael has no qualms with getting under the skin of Patrick Ewing when he's like early in the episode. He's like, "Man, Michael, stop bringing up that shit." Because like, <laughs> I think he brings up college <laughs> and Charles Barkley. He's like digging on him. Magic Johnson, they like really get into it. We play cards every night against each other, and if I had the upper hand, he wanted to play another hour, another hour. And then he never wants to just beat you. He wants to put his foot on your neck and just... I mean, you're not satisfied with beating me? You just you want to crush me too? Yeah. I love that stuff. And I think that's probably part of what Michael is talking about before this came out when he's like, you're going to think I'm an asshole. Because, like, he is. But there's, like, this little, like, thing in your brain that's like, he's kind of earned it to put these other guys in their place. Mm-hmm. Other thing I'll point out too is if Isaiah Thomas was on that team when that when that practice game went down, there would have been a broken jaw, nose, and hands. That's all I can say. He wouldn't have had <laughs> Lambeer to back him up. Yeah, because I feel like half the Dream Team hated Isaiah. Well, that's what the, <laughs> the documentary kind of says that too, right? That it wasn't just MJ who kept him off the team. Why are they focusing kind of on him though? Like I felt like they should have just left Isaiah in the past. They already kind of talked about it. Like I didn't really understand why they went there, but it's one of these big unanswered questions that people are always like, well, Michael left him off the dream team. And I still think he did, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So it, it was almost like they had to get it out in the open and be like, well, it wasn't just his thing. Everyone knows damn well that executives are in a back room thinking of every possible way to make Jordan the most likely as possible to join the team. 
And that's obviously mm-hmm. without Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> Isaiah was the first one cut. <laughs> it's just sad too. Cause like, I, I think Jordan even says, I, I think it was in this episode or might've been in one, the one prior where they're talking more about the bad boys that he, he even sees like Isaiah Thomas is probably the second best point guard ever or something. And the fact that like, you know, Christian Leitner is on the dream team. That would probably be one you could cut and put Isaiah Thomas on. And it'd be like, you know, even a more impressive collection of athletes. But, but the reason I thought that episode five was so great was that it, it, it seemed to be the most like thematically coherent. Like it's, it's like really building up Jordan as a cultural icon. We're talking about the shoes as a fashion icon, as an international icon and the dream team. And then Liz episode six really starts to kind of tear him down in a lot of ways. Uh, what, what was some of the, the, the main things that stuck out to you from episode six? Besides his vanity license plate. Um, uh, what was it? I missed it. I missed it too. Two tray. Two TWO space tray. T-R-E-Y. But it's what like... That? Two three-peats? That oh. or tw- or twenty three. I don't know. Oh. Oh. oh, never knew that conspiracy before. It's almost like a law in, at Illinois. You have to have a vanity plate at one time. I know I did in <laughs> high school. So, but the second episode, I love. Well, I loved seeing John Paxson hit that shot again because that's my first real life bulls memory him hitting that shot and they started episode five with the all-star game and then them getting into winning the title and they ended episode six getting a title um why does john paxton looks like he drives a harley now (laughs) he really does (laughs) so weathered it's so rough um it was fun to watch them beat the Knicks again and just live in my hatred for John Starks. I hate that guy. I hate him. <laughs> and then the other things that stood out were the interviews. I did not expect to see Connie Chung, but we got to see her when he said he had didn't have a gambling problem. He had a competition problem. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Does he not realize gambling is under the umbrella of competition here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was like, oh, there's Kai Chung. And oh, wow. Oh, okay. Um, and I, so my two friends and I from high school, two guy friends, were so hyped up about this. And before this, we sent each other the screenshots of Michael in the sunglasses in the Ahmad Rashad. Yes. interviews before this series even started and my one friend like I have it saved instead of Michael Jordan Bulls guard for a lower third it says like Michael Jordan and then it says Pat's friend underneath <laughs> the lower third so we, I was really excited to see that footage again <laughs> it's like everything that you would want to do to present yourself to convince the world that you're not a gambling addict Jordan did the opposite in that Ahmad Rashad <laughs> interview. This is not a good look. I'm a competition addict. Oh. I-, I wanted to know from you, Path. Like, I think it's safe to say Jordan did have like an addiction to gambling, but I mean, 
he's the most successful person on earth do you think he's kind of earned that right or do you think he should have done more to like curb that i was just so so surprised um how do i want to put this like they talk about it in the jordan rules book that 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 there was like you know this sort of tell-all thing that really rocked jordan's confidence in in people and there there was all that stuff with like who was the leak and trying to figure that out and like definitely horace grant yeah (laughs) which apparently was horace that dude's a narc (laughs) what the heck man (laughs) there had to be did they say there had to be more than just horace grant wasn't that a whole I just kind of had to laugh, and everyone was like, yeah, it was Horace. (laughs) (laughs) It was Horace Grant in the kitchen with the axe. (laughs) With a fax machine, because it's the 90s. But, I mean, it's, yeah, so this tell-out book comes out. It's like this big expose on Jordan. And, like, to watch it now with 2020 eyes, everything that Jordan is being accused of to me, and I'd be curious what you guys think, just seems so benign. Like, he was too intense. Okay. He may have gotten in a physical altercation at a practice. Okay. He went to Atlantic City the night of a finals game. Like, okay. I mean, <laughs> he didn't he didn't violate any rules. He didn't break any laws. Like, compared to the things that, like, celebrities are being exposed of doing now and, you know, the whole Me Too movement – what Jordan did just seems like not a big deal to me. Josh, would you agree, disagree? Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting too. And I think part of it is all of our like quarantine laid backness, stay at home, like <laughs> gambling sounds fun. Like yeah. out there doing your yeah. thing, man. It's great. <laughs> I, I don't know. I did like that he claimed ignorance that he didn't know he was getting like in too deep with people who professionally hustled on the golf course. Like, come on, man. He needed that pappy women's volleyball moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> he needed a, oh my God, it's four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm betting on sports I've never watched. Moment. Ukrainian women's <laughs> volleyball. But I don't know, Liz, as a Bulls fan, what do you think about the Atlantic City bit? Because, I mean, apparently that was huge news. That's what sparked that whole Ahmad Rashad interview. I don't remember it in real time. Like you said, Josh, I'm just like, whatever. Seriously. Like, I, <laughs> I, like this is nothing compared to Tiger King. Like, well, fine. I still won't watch. I can't do that. I. But anyway, I've been to Atlantic City. It's disgusting. Like, you have a gambling problem if you go there. Like, it's fine. <laughs> A lot of good listeners in Atlantic City. I don't endorse what Liz just said. I'm sorry. People in Atlantic City listen to podcasts too, Liz. I don't mean their homes. I mean some of the casinos like the Tropicana where I have stayed. Not nice. Bad times. There's interesting (laughs) subtle nods too to Jordan's relationship with his dad. Like that Atlantic City thing. He kind of hid behind his dad. Like, well, I was just there with my pa. It's like his dad's rolling yeah. those crap dice hard too, man. Like they are loving it. But that's the other thing too. That's like that's the that's the quote unquote controversy. He was hanging out with his dad. Yeah. Like first of all, they played the NBA games really late at night. He was going to a, he was playing games of chance with his dad. Who the f cares? Like it's not a big not a big deal. Stevie, I know you love sports. I, is there a case to be made potentially that Jordan's you know? 
head wasn't in it or he wasn't focusing or he should be watching tape or meditating or something the night before another finals game? No, so... I mean, people who know me know that I am a sports fanatic. I love sports. But the one thing I've always realized is athletes do not owe me a damn thing. I mean, if, like, if my, if my dad came up to me after my job and said, Hey, want to go to the casino till 2 in the morning and you'll make your job the next night or the next day? I'd be like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like... These athletes have lives too. They can do whatever they want. I do not care. And if anything, I, I feel like the documentary was making the case that the sort of all of this became bulletin board material for Jordan. And that's kind of what propelled him to winning the, the 92 93 final against the Suns. Josh, did you kind of. Were you picking up that? Because it feels like it, he was almost just so tired and exhausted that I don't know. If he even had that extra gear in the in the tank until until he got pissed. Yeah, he he got pissed and he was pissed at. I, and I think they do a pretty good job of showing this in the doc. He's pissed at the media, pr- primarily. I would say, like, yeah, there's stuff going on with the GM, and that's actually pretty terrible too. But like, even the media just exacerbates all of that, and it's worn him down. And I kind of have my biggest note of. This episode is like, I do forgive Jordan for like the gambling and being a competitive human and maybe not being on point with his social justice issues. But one thing that really bothers me about him is how he does let the media affect him. And we joked about it last episode and he was like telling Sam Smith like, hey man, we proved these other two columnists wrong and now we're going to prove you wrong. But like he... He can't seem to like put up a shield and he's like reading everything about himself and he can't get his head out of the Michael Jordan-ness or, or something. You know what I mean? It's like, it honestly, it's like Trump tweeting at four o'clock in the morning, like <laughs> CNN is like bullcrap. I don't know. Why, why is he like that? Even like his ELO shot, he celebrates by saying, go the fuck home to in his own words, the Chicago media. Like, you're playing basketball. I don't understand. I mean, was who was it that said, like, there would be days where Michael would just make stuff up in his head to motivate himself? I don't remember, but they said that either this episode or, or last Yeah, I week. think it was, yeah, this episode. They said he could just make stuff up, like... No, but I mean, they said... I, I, they said he could make stuff up, but the Atlantic City stuff was real. But I feel like nowadays, LeBron gets harped on by Stephen A. Smith. He's like, I don't care about you. <laughs> the only thing well, I can think of is, I mean... Actually, Josh, you kind of have a good point. Jordan's being kind of petty, but I have to imagine being the most like ridiculed spotlight on you person in the world would get very difficult after a matter of time mm-hmm. yeah it, but lebron's out here like funding schools and participating in black lives matter and the media has no reason to dog lebron to in my eyes the way they would dog jordan lebron's not out here i mean that we know of gambling 
all the time. Not that it matters, but since people always compare them, it's like, leave LeBron alone and Brittany and MJ. <laughs> leave them alone. Just to play devil's advocate to what you were saying, Josh, like, I, I think you brought up a good point, Liz. I like, compare that to modern day athletes. Kevin Durant takes it really personally, and he's making burner accounts to defend himself on Twitter. Multiple like, burners. Kevin, Kevin Durant's burner accounts is like something I could only think of in my dreams. It is one of my favorite <laughs> things about the NBA right now. It is. It's just a, it could be a band name. Kevin Durant's, <laughs> Kevin Durant's burner accounts. Burner accounts. <laughs> okay, I love that. But I mean, like, it's that level of scrutiny. It's honestly something that, that I hope that I never have to like endure because I must have done something really bad to get that famous. Uh, but I, I would just never, I would just guess that like people are just going to handle it different ways. And you could either take the Kevin Durant route and like I said, be argued argumentative and petty, or you could take the Jordan route and like, by all accounts, it seems to have made him a better athlete, right? Like, isn't that kind of an inspiring way to, to handle criticism, just take it on the shoulder and do better. I think it is. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of fight in that dog, Pep. <laughs> I can't. I definitely can't fault him for that. But I think, yeah, like for his own personal mental health, and maybe not wasting two of his two years of his prime career going to baseball, like. He maybe if he would have just like letting that let that stuff roll off his shoulders a little bit more. I mean, he is who he, he is who he is. I I don't have six rings, so Michael be Michael. I still want to be like him. And kind of the way the documentary wraps up uh, is we were saying that you you said he's a lot of fight in that dog, uh, Liz. Your boy Michael Jordan was being interviewed by Bob Costas. How would you kind of characterize him? towards the end of his first run here. He looks, he seems like a tired man in a lot of ways. <laughs> He's a beaten man and he just won again. Bob, mm-hmm. Bob's looking angelic and elfin and ageless. <laughs> elfin. And just Michael looks haggard and tired and just like he, they're like, can he's like says, can I just be by myself here for a few minutes? please. One in of the best moments of the doc so far. Like in the comparison to the first championship, he's like out there hugging the trophy, hugging everybody else, telling everybody how much he loves them crying. And now he's like, ugh, this again. Were you going to say something, Josh? Or I just, those are the moments that I think are the strongest. It's, you know, he needed a minute and the camera was right there with just Jordan alone, basically. And I don't know. That's just priceless gold, I feel like. Vulnerable moment with MJ. There's not very many of them. Mm-hmm. And it's doing, I think it's doing a great job of kind of setting up what's going to be in the next two episodes. By all accounts, these are going to get even more even more dicey focusing in on like the time that he left the conspiracy theories that we talked about, even on like go back to the first episode of why he left, but anything else from episodes uh, five and six that we didn't talk about uh, that you guys want to hit on before we get to yes or no's. When he, 
said, um, if I had the chance to do it all again, I'd never want to be a role model. It's like a game stacked against me. I was like, oof. This man needs a break. <laughs> yeah. And then the other, like, small thing is all of Magic's um, interviews are definitely in the Lakers practice facility before he pieced. <laughs> that's so funny. And I was like, well, that's kind of funny. Bye. I can't tell you how much I enjoy to just seeing those other huge names in basketball just kind of get disrobed by Michael. It's one of the beautiful things about him. Like, from Patrick Ewing just like being so sad like come on man <laughs> and charles uh what what did he say oh charles like fi- like charles barkley admitted someone is better than him like that for charles is like the ultimate like disrobement i feel like Twice. i don't know it was i don't know it was more awesome seeing like uh prime Charles highlights or that one little kid who was like, "Don't take it personally, Charles." (laughs) (laughs) Going into a like a timeout. That was awesome. I was like, "What a little shithead that kid." Twice a year, Pap, I feel like I wake up on random mornings and I send you Charles Parkley highlights in his prime. I do, because people see Charles as this overweight like wasn't great at basketball like commentator and it's like this dude was so good in his prime from the 76ers Mm. to the suns and seeing highlights of him like really doing well against jordan made me so happy i think a great piece of trivia too is that he's only 6'6 and dennis rodman is like 6'6 or 6'7 that usually blows people's minds like how great of rebounders those two were yeah, he still has like the same kind of thicker face, but then you see like how athletic and like fluid his body was back then. It's just so so cool to watch. But let's go ahead and get into our yes or no's. Uh, we'll give a rating for each of the episodes: episode five and episode six. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, episode five was by far, by far my favorite of the series. Like I said, I think it did everything that these episodes are trying to do well. Like the connection between the 98 season and like the 92 season uh i thought was just absolutely flawless like it bounced around telling the time really well and it, and it thematic thematically it really worked to kind of build up michael as his person and like all the things that showed you like the dream team and the second championship and the shoes and the mcdonald's sponsorships those were all in service to like where the story's going next so hard yes for that one i also really loved episode six so a yes for that one too um there are some more criticisms kind of coming out of the woodworks, kind of echoing some things earlier that we've said, like Ken Burns ripped on it uh, and then admitted he hadn't watched any episodes, but <laughs> I just find this to be really, really entertaining fair. So uh, all yeses so far for me in the last dance. That's my uh, line, Pat. <laughs> Liz, uh, well, Josh thinks of another line. Why don't you go next? Uh, all yeses for me, five and six. Uh, just... I agree. I loved the shoe tie-in. I thought that was great. I was just sitting there for most of the first episode being like, Adidas, woof, you you whiff. Um, And then 
there was a point in there that they showed footage of him shooting a free throw with his eyes closed, and I was yes. like, this is just a yeah. just a giant yes from here on. <laughs> Perfect, uh, Stevie. Um, I will give both episodes hard yeses. Like you, I loved episode five. It's probably my favorite of the series. Uh, from the Nike stuff to um, also the Dream Team stuff. That was so cool to me. And in episode six, uh, seeing and listening to his teammates and Phil Jackson talk about that series with the Suns was really cool. So, yeah, I cannot wait for episode seven and eight. Hard yeses for both. And last but not least, Josh. So when Ken Burns burned this, he kind of had a point because MJ's company is like attached in a producer role for this. And it does call in the journalism into like, you got to question it. But like Pappy said, hugely entertaining, huge yeses for both episodes, especially the first one. I already mentioned it, but I kept rewinding the first five minutes of episode five because i thought it was so great um some of the criticisms too i think they did a little bit better here like we got to hear from horace grant after everyone was calling him the narc so we at least know that horace grant says he's not the narc but stevie says he is so i believe stevie 100 <laughs> percent narc dude. you can see it in his eyes <laughs> and i think too episode five is like is showing how godly Michael Jordan was. And it's like when he had a good shooting game, they just attached it to like his will and because he was mad or because he wanted it more. And like if Babe Ruth had the famous called shot, this whole documentary is just like a series of Michael Jordan calling every shot. It's pretty remarkable the streak he was on in his life. I think it's worthy of this documentary is what I'm trying to say. So two hard yeses. So we're still uh, have yet to receive a no on any of these episodes. One thing that we have done, though, on every episode is we've been wrapping up with a little bit of trivia. Oh, yeah. And the winner will have the honor of tossing uh, the end of the episode to Spoiler Man. Uh, we're going to do like we have before, just the closest to uh, did a little poking around on the Internet to find this one. Um if you would have invested $10,000 when Nike did their initial IPO in 1982, how much would that be worth today? Closest to, uh, Josh, we'll have you go first. Did you say 1000 or 10000 $10,000. Why wouldn't you just make the question $1? Because there was an article that said what would happen if you invested $10,000. <laughs> Hold on. I'm trying to do some math in my head. In the, so This was this was back in uh, November when the article was written, but the stock price is actually about the same as it was. It went up, then it went down uh, with all this stuff. Okay. So you, we said earlier in the episode that Jordan's initial contract was 250000 So if I take that and divide it by... Uh, LeBron James's 36 million. Oh, Jesus. Uh, that'll give me a number that's. Oh, my God. That's not the number I was expecting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not $144. <laughs> it's 
not a bad. Is that your guess? No, is that not a $10, bad guess. Ten thousand dollars. I think we'll. I'll say. Two point four million. Okay, two point four. Uh, Liz. I don't do math, um, so I'm just gonna say three million. <laughs> three million, and Stevie. Uh, I think Nike's still a blue chip stock. They're probably around a hundred dollars, hundred and twenty bucks. Uh, ten thousand. Uh. Let's say 1.2 billion. 1.2 billion. <laughs> All right, Stevie overshot it a little bit there. Good. Uh, this is according to the Motley Fool. It would be worth $5,236,290. Uh, but if you invest with Stevie, he can make you a lot more money in his Ponzi scheme. So give Stevie your money. There you go. Invest yeah. it. But Closest was Liz. Uh, Liz, would you please do us the honor of uh, tossing it to Spoiler Man? Take it away, Spoiler Man. (laughs) Spoiler Man here. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcast spoilers. It's lit. Now you can check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. What was the Kahneman hustler? This guy's name it was like Slim something. Slim Bowler or something like Slim that. Bowler. I had no clue. idea. <laughs> <laughs> calls himself Slim. That was spoilers.